Amen. Well, I want to jump in this morning and ask you a question. And the question is very simple, and it's, and it's this. If in the mail you received a letter and the envelope itself looked very professional, and when opening the letter, there was crisp letterhead of a law firm, a very prominent-sounding law firm in a large city here in Texas. And as you read the letter, you realize that you are being um, summoned to meet with, a, with an attorney uh, that is the executor of a large estate. And you have a relative that had died, had left you a few hundred thousand dollars, and they were looking for you and wanted to make sure that you were at this meeting so that you could receive your part of the inheritance. Now, if you got that letter in the mail and you read that, in today's day and age, hmm, you'd probably be a little skeptical. Am I right? Like, you'd probably be like, <laughs> okay. And you'd probably be like, like, I don't know about this. But also, like, with your other hand as you're getting ready to throw it in the trash, you're also dialing the number, like, just in case. Just, just want to make sure. It's like, I don't know about this, but uh, beep, boop, 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 beep. Hey, just want to see what's going on. Like, you would at least check it out. Why? Because, man, if it's true, the offer that's on the table, if it's true, you have way too much to lose to just assume it's a scam, to, to just assume it's fake, to just assume it's a hoax. And you know, the offer of the resurrection is unlike any other offer ever given by anybody on the stage of human history. And there are some, though, that when it comes to Jesus and it comes to the resurrection and it comes to the spirit-filled life of Christ in us and through us, some people just kind of say, nah, I don't know about all this walking on water and raising from the dead and miracle son of God, virgin birth thing. I just, nah, really? And what a shame it would be to just discard the offer without doing some investigation, without at least reasoning, without at least thinking about it, without at least just trying to scratch the surface and see, is this thing worth finding more information on? The offer of the resurrection is, is not just, and this is big, but it's not just offering a new body when you die as you receive him as your savior. Uh, it's not just heaven uh, to be able to rejoin not only with him face to face, but with loved ones that have put their faith in him and you are spending eternity together. You new heaven and new earth that you get to reign, not just as a servant in his house, but as sons and daughters of God. Like there's just too much on the table. There's too great of an offer, but not only on that side of heaven, but this side, like the resurrection. Resurrection gives us power for living. It, it closes the gap between the life you are living and the life you are designed to live. And he makes, you, uh, makes available to us peace that passes understanding, hope when we feel helpless. Uh, 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 he gives us comfort when we are uncomfortable. He gives us guidance when we don't know where to go. Like there's just so much offer on the table. It would be a tragedy for us not to explore it, for us not to consider it, for us just to say, ah, the church thing or whatever. I mean, our church is just a bunch of, uh, full of hypocrites. I don't know if I'm going to even follow. Like, that would be a shame to just think it's a scam. We should investigate it. And you know what, you know what the Bible helps us do? Investigate the claims of the word investigate who this Jesus really is. And in Resurrection Sunday, there's a very popular passage, John chapter 20. And John chapter 20, we're gonna look at just very quickly three life-changing insights that we can't ignore when it comes to the resurrection. 
And so whether you have your Bible with you or not, you can turn there in your Bible or you can look right here on the screen. I want to read to you this resurrection story and we're going to unpack very quickly three life-changing insights that affect us today. It is not just information about the story. It's actually applicable. It means something to us in 2018. So let's read the story together. In John chapter 20, verse 1, it starts off like this. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, I mean, it was early. Mary Magdalene, one of the followers of Jesus, who actually, when you read Mary Magdalene's story in one of the other gospels in the book of Mark, Mary was kind of thought of as like kind of the village crackpot. Um, the Bible said that she uh, was, w- w- ha- uh, had demons and she uh, was spiritually oppressed and Jesus uh, touched her and changed her life and she began to follow. I mean, she was all rattled up with all kinds of stuff and her life was deeply changed by this Jesus. And that's why she is drawn to the tomb on this Easter Sunday morning. She goes to the tomb and she sees that the stone had been removed from the entrance. And she's like, what? What is going on? So she hightails it to where the rest of the disciples are. She goes running to Simon Peter. And look at this. And the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and who's writing this this book is John, the one who Jesus loved. Like if you're writing the book, you get to write in things like that. You get to say the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved. Like you're writing it, so you get to say it, right? And he says, and she said to the Mary goes, and she's hysterical. She says, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. And we don't know where they have put him. Now you can see by her vernacular that she's not indicating a risen savior. She's not saying Jesus has risen from the dead. She's saying Jesus was dead and somebody took his body. It's horrible. It's disgraceful. They've desecrated that holy place. And so what happens? So Peter looks at John and John looks at Peter and they go like roadrunner, beep, beep, and they start heading to the tomb. Bible says Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running. And again, if you're the author, you can add in little pieces like this. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. You know, just wanted to make sure the history books indicated that John was a faster runner than Simon Peter. So John bends over once he gets to the the deal, and he looks in at the strips of linen lying there, but but he didn't go in. Like, you know, if you're going to a funeral and there's a gravesite, you don't let your kids run around playing tag in the the cemetery. Like, there's there's a certain level of respect there, right? There's a certain level that you know, don't just go stomping on grave like that. That's just, and, and it's so awful when you see people that have like um, disrespected a cemetery and driven through and ran over. I mean, just how, it's just, it's just wrong. And John realizes the respect of the moment and he says, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. And he's just looking. He's looking intently. He's reasoning. He's thinking, but he doesn't go in. And now we see Simon Peter, who Simon was always willing to just kind of get out there. He was kind of crazy. He's like your crazy uncle. In fact, his, his name is also Cephas. So I like to think of him as your crazy uncle Cephas. You know, Uncle Cephas is the guy that tries to jump the four-wheeler over the barn on Christmas Eve. Hey, watch this. Hold my solo cup. Let me do this. I'm going to show you all how good I am on this four-wheeler. And then you spend Christmas morning in the ER with Uncle Cephas. Like, that's how it happens. Well, Simon Peter, he's just, he doesn't care about whatever. I mean, he just jumps right in. The Bible says that Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. Just kind of, what's going on? Like a bull in a china shop. 
He's, uh, he's all tampering with the evidence, like CSI Jerusalem is going on here, and he's just in the middle of it, and he's checking it out. And we get to the first insight on the resurrection that I'd love for you to take your worship guide that you received when you walked through one of our doors, turn it over, and there are just three points today, two blanks for each that we're going to fill in, insights into the resurrection, and the first one is this, the resurrection is surprisingly rational. Now, when you think of a resurrection, when you think of someone being dead for three days and then raising back to life, that is irrational. That is miraculous. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't usually happen. But there's so many indicators in this story that gives us insight to it's actually a very rational moment. They have got to think about it. They've got a reason with it, but God gives them what they need to believe. And so we continue on in the story. Peter, as he's busted into the tomb here, he sees the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place. Now think, Mary comes to them early that morning. They may still be resting. and says they've taken the body, they've taken the body. Somebody robbed the grave is basically what they're saying. There's grave robbers out there. They've desecrated the holy spot there, and they've taken his body. But Peter is looking, and this word saw is actually from the original language, the word theoreo. Everybody say theoreo. You speak Greek. There you go. Theoreo. And theoreo, you can kind of hear it sounds familiar. It's like where we get the word theory or theorize, where we reason and we think and we contemplate and and we kind of, we just consider. So Peter... And all his boldness is stopping and considering what he's seen. Because Mary's saying it's grave robbers, but he's seen something to the contrary. What has he seen? Well, first he's seen strips of linen. If somebody's going to rob the grave and take the body, okay, first of all, if somebody's going to rob the grave, they're going to rob the spices, not the body. They're not going to do anything with the body. They're going to take the spices. But instead what they see is the strips of linen are there. If you're going to rob a grave, you're not going to take the strips of linen. You're not going to unwrap the dead body that are holding the spices to keep that body from smelling. You're not going to unwrap that body and just like throw it over your shoulder and leave. There's no purpose in that. And Peter's trying to, he's thinking, he's reasoning, he's considering. And then he sees that the the cloth that had been over Jesus' head, that was still there. Another translation says it was folded and neatly in place. Look, if I'm a grave robber, I'm not going to make sure I tidy up before I leave. Like I've never seen you know, a, a video security camera that shows somebody walking out of a house with an LED television and the other partner in crime is like folding the towels that were left on the couch. That doesn't happen. They just kind of leave and they leave a mess. And so Peter is thinking and he's considering and he doesn't know. Finally, John, who had reached that tomb first, wanted to put that in there just, just one more time. He also went inside and he saw and what? believed. Now, separated from this moment almost 2,000 years later, we would suspect if we stop the story there that John sees and believes and that he's believing in the resurrection of Christ. But this is not what he's believing. He's believing that something isn't right. And the way we know that is if you continue on in the passage, the very next statement is this. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. They weren't looking at the time. 
They weren't waiting around saying, hey, three days, how long has it been? It's been two, two days and 22 hours. Oh, he's coming back. They were scared. They were afraid. They were hunkered down. They did not expect him to come back. If you watch your Messiah, your rabbi, your friend, the teacher you followed for the last three years, who called you out of fishing and to follow him, and you saw him beaten and wounded and crucified among two common criminals, I think your hope would be a little low. And it was for them. And it gets us to the next part of this rational, this rational resurrection. So they start deducing, they start considering all these elements. And the truth is, when you look at the facts, when you go CSI on this thing, there was a heavily guarded but an empty tomb. The leaders did not want this to happen. The leaders who crucified God, who wanted him gone, they didn't want this to happen, and yet the tomb was still empty. You have a carefully folded grave clothes and strips of linen. You have the key witnesses, Mary Magdalene. Now, in the first century, this makes no sense. In fact, the early leaders got a lot of flack for this. A lot of people wouldn't believe in the resurrection because the key witness was a woman. In that misogynistic culture, women were not even allowed to speak in a court of law. They, they did not have a place at a table for any kind of authority or leadership. And it was a very dominating culture and, and, and did not see the value of women. And because of that, it caused issues in the first century with believing in the resurrection. One of the early philosophers, religious leaders named Celsus basically was quoted as saying, any rational man cannot listen to the, to the sayings of this hysterical woman named Mary. Like, you can't, you can't believe this. And what was, what was, was a poor element of the case 2,000 years later is a, huge rea- is a huge signal of the validity of the resurrection. Why? Because there is no way that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if this was a hoax, if they wanted to trick people, that they would have started by saying, hey, let's, let's get a woman to be our key witness. Let's get Mary, who was the local, you know, the, the mental patient in the village, who, who, who was around Jesus, let's get her to be the eyewitness. They wouldn't have done that. If they were wanting to make it up, they would, have, they would have found someone that you would have found, like someone to believe, someone who was on commercial, someone who had a voice that could speak, the governor, you name it, like they would have said, someone reputable. But we see a pattern in Scripture here that God is always looking not for the strong, but he's looking for those that realize they're weak, that will cast themselves on him. He's not, look, he's not looking for the doctor. He's looking for the reformed mental patient. He's not, he's not looking for the one that's got all their ducks in a row. He's looking for the one that, that is open-palmed, walking open and surrendered to him. And he can use anybody, anybody. But we don't stop there. Twelve sightings over six weeks after the resurrection with 500 witnesses, the apostle Paul says. But even then, look at the, look at the evidence, everyone. Totally transform lives. If I'm Peter and I'm denying him three times before the crucifixion, just about, just, just about 50 days later, I'm standing boldly on the, on the steps of the temple and I'm proclaiming him. That, that's a huge transformation. If it's a hoax, if it's a hoax, I'm not going to die for a hoax. At, at some point when they start pulling out the cross, the disciples would have started going, okay, 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 hang, hang on, hang on. I, just, I was just teasing. I was just teasing. But instead they took... They took on death. They were stoned. They were crucified. They were assassinated for this belief. And now 
over a third of the entire world claims Jesus as their savior. I mean, something had to have happened that was big for them to give their lives for it. It was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can trust it. Write this down. A Christian faith that isn't shot through with reasoning or thinking, that faith will not last, everybody, through the ups and downs of life. When life is good, God is good. But when life throws you a curveball, if you haven't reasoned and thought and explored and decided and questioned and said, what about this? God, are you really out there? He says, I welcome your questions. I welcome your wondering. I welcome your, your, your moments of doubt. It's okay to reason and think. And many people outside the church that look inside the church, they think you got to give up your brain in order to really begin to follow Christ. And it's not true at all. He actually gives you transformation transformation by the renewing of the way we think according to the book of Romans so here we are we got to go through the ups and downs and we got to reason and think and trust it's a rational deal number two number two the resurrection is deeply personal so the story goes on Peter and John went back to where they were staying the safe house and Mary what does she do she stays outside the tomb and, and she's crying She's upset. She is grieving. Do you know what your natural instinct is when you're in a crisis situation? You know what it isn't? Your natural instinct when you're in a crisis is usually not hope. You get a bad report and it's usually not, yay, this is going to be a great moment for God to show up. Like Usually it's like, oh, oh my, what's next? Oh God, what do I do when you hear of tragedy our, 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 our instinct is not, oh, everything's going to be fine. Usually our instinct is the wheels are in the ditch. What is going to happen? And Mary, she is so wounded because of this death that she is just beside herself. She's grieving and mourning, and she can't even see what's unfolding in front of her. Look at this. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and She's, there's a miracle moment here. She saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been. It's a miraculous God moment, but she's so inward focused. She's so focused on the hurt. She's so focused on the wound, on the wound she doesn't see what's happening around her. I wonder how many of us. God wants to move and speak and direct and guide, but we're so focused on that hurt. We're so focused on that past. We're so focused on that issue. We're so focused at trying to stay mad at that person that we miss the activity of God in our life. And she's missing it because she's got this, she's got this repetitive statement down that she'd already told the disciples earlier that day. And now she's going to tell the angels. And she said, they ask her, woman, why are you crying? Notice that question. Woman, why are you crying? And she says the same thing. Same old, same old. They've taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they have put him. Now look, at this time, she turns around, and she sees Jesus standing there. Like, whoa, moment, here it is. And what I would think would happen is Jesus goes, surprise, it's me. Hey, what's up, girl? But she doesn't even realize it's Jesus. She doesn't have it within her to recognize who he is. And I want to show you something very important in scripture that you can miss. You don't find Jesus on your own. Nobody has ever lived that has found Jesus without Jesus first finding them. 
In fact, the only way we're able to connect to the Son of the living God is because he is in passionate pursuit of us first. He's there waiting for us to turn, waiting for us to have our moment. We, we don't recognize him. Before, before we were born, even as we were in our mother's wombs, he had designs on us, plans on us, focus on us. And he initiates the moment of finding we don't initiate it. It's so personal. It's so personal. And so she didn't realize it was him. And he asked her, woman, the same question the angels asked, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? I love the counseling spirit of Jesus who doesn't just say, ta-da, who doesn't say, stop crying, girl. Girl, wipe those tears. Let's go celebrate. He's an almighty counselor. And in our deep despair, he doesn't say, shape up. No crying. No crying in this life. He counsels us. And it's personal. Now, thinking he was the gardener, she says, sir, the same thing. If you are carried him away, would you tell me where you put him? And I will go get him. i like, Mary is so focused on getting the dead body of Jesus back in that tomb. She's like, wherever he is, if you put him in the backyard, I'm going to undig him up. I'm going to drag him by the ankle and put him back in the tomb. She just doesn't see what's going on. I'll go get him. And Jesus' response here is very important. See, if I were to die and return like that, I would want to return like Superman returns. The old movie not one of the newer ones. When Superman returns, he shows up and he saves a jetliner from running into like Yankee Stadium. Like holds it up like this on the pitcher's mound and thousands of people are watching in the stands and millions on television and he's, he's in it, he's got his muscles and his spandex and that's how I would return. And I'd flex up the biceps, I'm back, I'm risen. He doesn't even say, it's me. He says, it's you. He turns to her and he says, Mary. He doesn't call her student. He doesn't call her child. He doesn't call her woman. In this personal moment, when he reveals himself to her, it is deeply personal. Mary. She turns. like She, she is already dead set to just ignore him. Mary. And it's the hinge point that changes everything in her life. <laughs> and she cries out in her heart language, teacher. And they talk for a moment. She tries to give him a hug. He says, hey, this isn't going to last. Don't cling to this. I'm going to my father, your father, my God, your God. And he says, go tell the boys. It's going to be great. She goes, I already tried to tell them. I don't think they believe me. I, I, I think they think I'm back in the mental institution. He said, just, just go tell them. Go tell them. I'm going to blow their minds a little later, okay? So you just go tell them I'm coming. So later that evening, the Bible says, it was late that Sunday evening, Resurrection Sunday. Boy, it had started early that morning, and we're coming full circle. And the disciples were gathered together behind locked doors because they were afraid. Not because they were plotting, hey, where are we going to meet up with Jesus? He's risen. They didn't know what to do. They thought that the same Romans were going to crucify Jesus. They were next because they were his followers and people were recognizing them. And then Jesus came and just 
stood among them. He didn't crawl through a window. He didn't knock on the door. He didn't give the back door password. He just is there. Peace be with you. And after saying this, what does he do? He shows them what they need to believe. He doesn't say from a voice in the cloud with like some kind of vague electrical force field floating in the room, believe in me. He shows them his hands and his side, the evidence. Oh, this, is, this, this isn't a ghost. This is Jesus who died on the, his body has been resurrected because a new body would not have nails and scars, but that, like, he's, resur- he's here. He's here. And now watch. The disciples were filled with joy at seeing the Lord. And with that, what does he do? He breathes on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know about you, but there's some customs we have, like high fives and shaking hands. Even we give hugs, you know, that's customary here. But breathing on people, like, isn't one of those customs, you know, like, as a pastor, when I go visit people in the hospital, I don't say, man, how are you doing? I hope you're doing okay. It's like not in the, in the, in the toolbox, Okay. If anything, I try to take a minute and keep my breath away as much as possible. So what's he doing here? That's weird. Go to the beginning of the word of God. When he births humanity, he takes dust. Breathes into the dust. And the dirt and the divine combine to make humanity. And we're made in his image. And this cycle of life completes where we tried to find our own life. We tried to do what we could do. We tried to figure things out on our own. And he's saying, if I don't breathe into you, you will never know real life. And it's like this is the born again experience where he breathes into them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul says, just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit living within you. In other words, the same spirit that Jesus breathed into the disciples on the day of resurrection almost 2,000 years ago is the same spirit that any time when someone says, Jesus, I surrender to you. Jesus, I want to take my life and stop being in charge and you be in charge. He breathes that same spirit in us. It's the offer that's too great to ignore. And it's everything. God with us. Number three, the resurrection is intensely purposeful. Intensely purposeful. Because it's not just why he did, well, he just kind of went like the intensity of the cross, the intensity of the wounds, the intensity of the embarrassment, the intensity of the, of, of the criticism, the intensity of the excruciating pain. It was all on purpose. And what happens in the garden, he breathes life, Adam and Eve, they have perfection. He gives them one rule, one rule. How many of you parents would love for your family? Could you, if you could narrow it down to just one rule. I'll tell you how you never honor your father and your mother. Like, if you can honor your father and your mother, that's one rule, kids. Like, that's it. He says, enjoy. Swim in the lake. Have fun. 
run naked, <laughs> literally. That was a joke. He says, but stay away from the one tree. But they don't. The serpent comes, tempts. They say, we would like to be as smart as God. We would like to be our own gods. We would like to take our lives into our own hands. And God says, okay. And they eat the fruit and they sin and they, their eyes are opened and they realize they're naked and they can't cover themselves. So what do they do? They sow fig leaves to try and cover their nakedness. And God has to teach them a very important lesson. And here it is, everybody. Sin is serious. Sin separates us from God. Sin makes us dirty and filthy. And we can't cover it up ourselves. And so what does God do? In that moment, because sin is so serious, something had to die. And God sacrifices an animal. And that skin of that animal wraps, he wraps Adam and Eve in that skin. And he says, from now on, every time you sin, every time you go against my commands, you need to, sacri- you need to know how serious, when you sin, something dies. And so it's instituted this sacrifice system where lamb after lamb after lamb after lamb, season after season after season, they would have to sacrifice a living animal and that blood poured out would represent the cost of their sin and it would, it would cover their sin. But when Jesus walks into the Jordan River to be baptized and start his ministry, John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God who doesn't cover the sin but takes away the sin of the world. It was intensely purposeful that the resurrection of Christ and the crucifixion would cover and take away our sin. No more sacrifices. The ultimate sacrifice had been given. And it reminds me of this little story of when I was seven or so years old in Monette, Missouri. My dad was a tinkerer for a little bit, not, not big into the mechanics and stuff, but I do remember that as a seven-year-old in Monette living on 610 East Benton in this tiny little house with a separated garage in the back, my dad would change the oil in the driveway on occasion. And he would change the oil and he would, he would take the old oil out of the pan and he would put it in this metal container. He'd say, he'd say hey, 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 boys, don't mess with this, don't mess with this oil. Don't get it everywhere. Don't mess with this. I'm going to set it right here. We're going to have to recycle it. I can't do it today. Don't mess with it. And I think he'd forget, and that metal container would just stay there. And I remember one summer afternoon playing around in the yard. He said, you can play in the yard. You can enjoy the jungle gym. You can run around, ride your bikes. Stay away from the oil. And there was one summer afternoon where I, the, the sun gleamed upon the metal of the container. And it wooed my little spirit. And it was like the oil was saying, Jeremy, come here. I want to play. And I got my tippy toes up towards the metal container and pulled off the, the, the top of it. And there it was, the sludge, the slime of that old oil had been sitting there for who knows how long. And... I can see my image in it. It's just, just, it's like for a seven-year-old, it's just so like, oh. And before I know it, before I know it, I thought, man, maybe I'll just, maybe I'll just kind of just touch it or maybe I'll just kind of just get close and see what it's like. But before I knew it, I had plunged my hands 
all the way down into my elbows and I was just feeling the oil and it was, it was filthy and it was slimy and it was dirty and it was mucky. Basically, it was awesome. And when I'm in the middle of it, I, did, you know, I don't really realize what I've done. <laughs> but then I come to my senses and I stand up and I realize, uh-oh, I've made a bigger mess than I realize I've made. And I very quickly try and get rid of it. I get it, try and throw it into the grass and <clears throat> it's no good. I'm in trouble. And I try and skim it off into the can and that's not working and I got nowhere to go and nowhere to run and I'm trying to just get it as much off of me as possible. I'm like, oh, what am I gonna do? I'm a little seven-year-old who's just covered in oil waiting for his dad to turn around the corner. And so I, I bolt through the back door, through the kitchen to the little guest bathroom at the end of our house. And I shut the door and I start scrubbing. There's no soap. I open up the medicine cabinet. There's soap when I slam the cabinet shut. There's, there's oil all over the mirror and on the cabinet and on the wall and on the faucet and on the porcelain and on the toilet and on me and on the ground and on the wall. And I am flipping out. Like I didn't realize. And the more I try to clean, the worse I make it. And I'm losing my cool. And I'm getting desperate. And I want you to lean into this moment and understand that the Bible says hundreds of years before the crucifixion, all of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. In other words, when we try to make our way into being right with God. When we try to clean up our own sin problem, it's like we've got a filthy rag and we're trying to make things clean with something that is already filthy. It won't work. So I muster up enough guts and I, I yell out a word. It's a scary word. Dad! And maybe it's even scarier for some of you because maybe had you yelled out, Dad, when your dad walks into the bathroom and sees the mess, maybe, maybe you would have gotten a licking. Maybe you would have gotten a cussing. Maybe, maybe nobody would have shown up because dad wasn't active in your life. My dad certainly was not perfect, made a lot of mistakes, and I'm a chip off the old block. But on this occasion, he looks, he opens the door, I, I, I close my eyes and I show him and he, I don't know what I expected. He grabs me by the hand and he takes me to the kitchen. Underneath the sink, he pulls out this tub. He pulls out this soap that smells real, it's, it's like orange and sandy and, and he just begins to scrub and wash my little hands and my little arms takes my t-shirt off and he throws it in the trash and and I sit there and I'm going to stand there at the sink as my dad washes the oil off with his hands and I watch the oil swirl down the drain sin makes a terrible mess of our lives and it makes a mess of stuff around us 
and it's attractive for a moment. But when you take time to step back, you realize that's why so many people try to fix their own mess. And this sin cannot be gotten away with. It can't be cleansed unless there's stronger stuff. And Jesus, on the cross, his blood shed for us, that is the stronger stuff.
There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me.
loves you very, very much. You're here today and maybe you've been trying to live as the ruler of your own life. I would invite you to put Jesus as the center, ruler, and savior of your life. And you say, Pastor, I want to do that today. I, I've been trying to clean up my own messes and I need, I need the power to raise Christ from the dead because stuff is, is not going the way I want. And I, 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 I want to surrender to him and whatever he has for my life. Pastor, would you pray for me today? If that's you and you say, yeah, I, I want to ask Jesus to be the center of my life today. And I'd love for you to help me pray that prayer, Pastor. If that's you with no hesitation, no embarrassment, but no hesitation, would you right now put a hand straight up in the air? I need Jesus to be my Savior today. Yeah, hands, a lot of hands. Anybody else? Anybody else? I need Jesus to be my Savior today. I, I'm done trying to clean up my own junk. And you're saying that he'll make me whole again? What? Yes, I want that. Okay, you can put your hands down. In your own words, you'd simply say it like this. Jesus, thank you. You are the Son of God. You are who you say you are. I surrender to you, to your ways, to your teaching, to, to your spirit in my life. Forgive me of my past. Wipe my past away. And help me to not hang on to it. If you say I'm free, I'm gonna believe I'm free and I'm gonna move forward. Thank you for loving me so much. You would give me this moment to make things right with you. And thank you for taking on the cross and paying the price you paid for my freedom from sin. I embrace it. I make a terrible savior for myself. That's why I invite you to be my savior and my Lord. In Jesus' name. Would you put your hands together for those that raised a hand this morning? Yeah, very cool, very cool. And so now this leads us to that second question on the survey. We're all gonna fill that out together. We do this every year. Would you pull out that survey now? And, and here's how we're gonna fill it out. You would circle A if you would agree, if, you, if this would relate to you. A would be, and it's right here on the screen, I'm following Jesus. I'm already, before today, I'm already in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Not perfect, but I'm following. B, you would circle B if today, whether you raised a hand or not, but in your heart you said, I need to start over. I need to maybe start or restart. Because some of us have drifted. You know, we all like sheep have gone astray and maybe you feel like you've drifted. You're ready to restart a relationship with Jesus. C, you would circle C if you're not quite there yet. If you're saying, hmm, I need to reason a little bit more. I need to think about it a little bit more. I want you to know, we've kind of designed this church for you to investigate the claims of Christ, to come in and figure out it's okay not to be okay. You don't gotta have all your spiritual ducks in a row to be a part of Timber Creek Church. We want you to come in and figure out who God is. And you, if you will just open your heart, he, he's not gonna let you down. He's gonna show you who he is. But maybe you're still needing to consider it. Or maybe it's D, and now this is important. Maybe it's the letter D and you need to circle it because you're saying, no thanks. I'm not really intending to make that decision. I came here because my, my wife said, we're, we're doing this for Easter. I came here because, I don't know, I just, somebody invited me and I thought I'd just go. I didn't want to be alone, but this is just not for me. I want you to know that we're, 
we want you to be honest with that moment because some people, they kind of think they can slide through life without making a decision. And by not making this decision to follow, you are making the decision. And you need to wrestle with that in your own life. And I just want you to know, our team would just be praying for you, that God would reveal himself to you the way that he has shown himself to others. Sound good? So you've circled A, B, C, or D. Now we're gonna receive our generosity moment, our tithes and our offerings. And I want you to stay where you are. And we're gonna drop these Easter surveys in as we also receive the offering. But as we're wrapping up today, I wanna to show you a couple things, very cool. You can give in the offering plate or you can also give online or text to give. But we've been going all in as a church and really putting the kingdom of God first the best we know how. And we have this vision as a church to create community destinations across the timber country of East Texas where anyone can find and follow Jesus. Like even my uncle Ralph, yeah, even your uncle Ralph, I know it's crazy. Like that's what we wanna do. And we're gonna be de developing these destinations all across East Texas. And one place we're doing it is inside the prisons in East Texas. And we on Wednesday of this week are launching our very first service in the Dieball Correctional Center. It's gonna be a Timber Creek Church campus on Wednesday nights at seven o'clock. It's pretty cool. It starts this Wednesday. And so in order to do that, what we did is we went in and we, we cleaned up the place and we put new flooring and new paint and we bought 80 inch televisions. And I think we got a picture. We, we bought a sound system and a computer and, and we, we, we got 150 chairs. Here's what's crazy guys. It'll only seat 150 and they have to sign up to go. And we already have over 250 signed up to attend. So before we even have had our first service, We've had to go to 5.30 p.m. and 7 p.m. on Wednesday night in order to accommodate everybody. That is so awesome. And we're gonna share the message of Jesus and it's gonna be piped in on video during those times of the Sunday morning service. And as I was talking to some of those guys, I, I told one of the guys, I said, hey, um, when I get up on a Sunday morning, I'm gonna say to the congregation and to the, to the camera, I say, hey, just wanna welcome you, those of you that are watching online and those of you that are at different locations, there in, in Die Ball at, at our prison campus. Man, you guys aren't a project. You're our church family. And that's all I said. I said so then, and then we'll, we'll talk. I'll give the message. The guy began to cry right there, tatted up, hardcore dude. He said, you mean, you mean you would consider us as part of your church family? I said, man, that's not coming from me. That's Jesus. In fact, Jesus tells us, I was thirsty, give me something to drink. Hungry, give me something to eat. I was in prison, you came and visited me. That's like the people that make it into the kingdom of heaven. We just wanna do what he's called us to do. How cool is that? Little Doug here, he's, uh, I said, man, are you gonna be here a while? I said, yeah, I, I actually attended a church before I went to prison and, and I, uh, I actually know this sound system. We had this sound system at our church. And so I know, I said, how long are you in for? He said, a few years. I said, we've got a committed sound guy. A committed sound guy, here we go. But not only are we launching prison, but on Thursday of this last week, we've said community destinations and we even changed our name in order to have multiple locations across East Texas. And our next location is in Nacogdoches. And man, it's been hard to find the right spot. We thought we had a place, fell through, thought we had a place, fell through, thought we had a place. Then we investigated, and was like, run. And like, we had a lot of things going on. But finally, the one we really set our eyes on before the whole process 
it was our dream location, honestly. But at the time, it was four times the amount that what we felt like we could afford. Three, three, three times the amount. So we just, we had to say no. God opened door. We've been waiting and we've been wondering what's going on, but it was God that was working behind the scenes. And so on Thursday, we signed the lease for our new location in Nacogdoches. Awesome. Here's us signing the lease, me and Pastor Dan, our campus pastor. And then this is us like doing like hallelujah. Like we were so excited. And then about 20 seconds later, they shot this picture and we were like, we got a lot to do. (laughs) But coming soon, we have our location. Here's the deal. If you know Nacogdoches up north, uh, just a little south of Walmart, north of SFA on North Street, uh, there's there's a shopping center there that's got the movie theater the uh, bowling alley, a bar, and CeCe's Pizza. Like, the, it was an awesome place. And in the corner there is an, a building that has the name Steels on it. It's about 21,000 square feet. We have signed the lease for that building. We're gonna start the remodeling process, and that's where we're gonna have Timber Creek Church in Agadoches. Isn't that awesome? And I mean, think about it, think about it. Like how convenient for people, like you get out of church and you can go watch a movie and you can go bowling, you can eat pizza, you can go eat pizza. Like you can do all kinds of stuff. I mean, it's gonna be a great place. When you give, just know, every time you give, my salary doesn't go up or down, okay? When you give, You help the kingdom of God. You partner. There is no resurrection without a tomb. There is no virgin birth without a womb. There is no feeding of 5,000 without somebody offering their lunch. There is no parting of the Red Sea without somebody extending their staff and believing for God. And so what what God is going to do, he's going to do. But we're going to partner with him. And when you give, it's partnering with what God wants to do for his kingdom. Isn't that awesome? Would you stand with me? Stay where you are, but stand where you are. Ushers begin to serve our congregation now. From the back to the front, they're passing. Put your surveys in there. If you'd like to give, you may give. And let's sing this song with Stephen together.